Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. All right. It is very morning. All right. Let's let's uh, run down some AV housekeeping real quick before I forget. Um, you are you are recording. I am currently recording. You are recording. I'm recording. All right. So uh, I may. Uh, hmm, okay. So previously to this episode of Cameron and Brock are two people, the podcast in which Cameron and Brock are two people. Um, I recorded uh, everyone, all all two of us, via uh, a admittedly very complicated and an increasingly uh, sketchy series of uh, software. Uh, hard, software. Inter- oh boy, this is boring. Software interface, sim- like a simulation. I was running an aggregate device, which is a thing where your computer takes a real. Uh, sound interface and a fake software interface or sound interface and mashes them together into something and that would occasionally according to the person at work who knows a lot more about this than me get out of sync with the computer's internal clock and result in weird crackly sounds um so what we're trying instead is uh you recording a separate file of just you from your house me recording just me, which is actually very um, worrisome. I'm only seeing one waveform on my computer, which I'm not used to. Uh, I but see I'd... only one waveform. All right, yeah. And then you're going to uh, send me that file via, um, uh, I think you're going to throw it in, throw it in FedEx, uh, priority. Just, uh, just burn it to a CD, um, drop it in the mail, uh, signature required. And we'll have each episode up a week and a half after it airs, after it's recorded. Am I recording it to a cassette? Is that how you'd like to receive it? I mean, uh, I guess it would depend on postage. You could probably get, you could probably fit a cassette in a standard letter size envelope, so that might actually work better for you. Um, you could potentially even just like tape a cassette to a postcard and hope for the best. Or actually, you know, Shannon uh, used to do this in college. Uh, apparently, you can just, if the postage is on it, you can mail anything. Like, the post office doesn't really care. Uh, it's kind of your privacy that's at stake if you, like, put, uh, um, you know, if you put stamps on a baseball bat and address it directly right on there. I th- I'm pretty sure the whole deal with the post office is they will take it to that place. Uh, I think there's a lot of... Active myths about what the post office will do. I mean, I was first given the impression that there was that whole wind, rain, sleet, snow thing. And, you know, I think that was centuries old and completely inaccurate. So you may be just leaving a baseball bat by your mailbox for a very long time. (laughs) She, uh, uh, um, no, I think you're thinking of the Pony Express. The Pony Express is very, <laughs> uh, those guys, I mean, they really had something to prove. These days, the post office, it's more of a, you know, a, there's, there's government pensions involved and, and things like that. That said, I, I think they don't, uh, they don't, they don't admit it. Um, the post office, I just had, uh, uh, so we have a, at work, we're working with, uh, uh, we are a record marketplace, and people buy and sell vinyl records. Uh, and sometimes people use media mail to send those records. And media mail is a fascinating institution in which your thing might be mailed from Wisconsin to Chicago, but it might 
just take a vacation in Pittsburgh for like three days. <laughs> yeah, or, I. Yeah, I I was mailing you something, which you, is not something I've said in maybe ever to well in decade to anyone. And uh, they had some fascinating maps at the store where I dropped the package off of when a package would get where depending on where you were. And um, it looked like some weird disease map. There there weren't connections. I think it was based <laughs> on certain airports. It was a very oh, okay. strange, yeah, so you never know. I I mean, even the, the, the world of... of- Item distribution is is bizarre to begin with. Uh, I think, as we have discussed prior on this podcast, uh, Amazon delivers here via Amazon. Um, so I will get the the door will buzz and I will answer the buzzer thing, uh, and someone will just say Amazon, and I'll realize it's just the Amazon guy yelling Amazon at me. And then I go downstairs, and a random guy with no identifying uh, clothing of any type hands me a package out of a box. It's like City Christmas every day. City Santa down there with his giant bag of cardboard boxes. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, my gosh, it's so early. Um, so Felix was only up once last night. She was up at 2.30, and then I put her back to bed. And then I got uninterrupted sleep for four hours. It was very nice. So, oh, so you actually stayed asleep. You didn't wake up at the normal times and just look around and not see her there. I did. I, I But I, I I try not to look at my phone to see what time it is when I wake up. Um, it, Just I try not to think about that too much. But, I mean, waking up on your own is relatively normal. Uh, I'm not as worried about that. It's waking up with a waking up, having to get out of your bed, go figure out how to get a two year old to get back in their bed and go to sleep. That's that, the, that whole process is the problem. I got your package by the way. I wanted, I didn't text you last night because I thought that would not be in the spirit of the podcast. Um, so I waited until this morning to tell you, I, I, I got it. Um, I thank you very much. It's one of the nicest. Uh, so for the listeners, uh, I got well. For, I, I got a uh, Brock sent me a copy of. Oh no, I don't remember the name of it. It's over on the shelf. It's by Marcus Aurelius, and it's called the Infinite Void or something. What's it called? Philosophies. <laughs> well, here's the thing: it was uh. never officially titled as a book because it was more of his own personal notes to himself. So oh. it's often called the Meditations. Um, oh, okay, Marcus yeah. Aurelius, but. It has been titled different things because different translators really have, you know, an open opinion on what to call it. So you could just call it the infinite void. Well, by Marcus well, I, Aurelius. No, I think I'll. I, I think I'll go to the trouble of actually remembering the name of the book. You were so nice to get me. I promise. Uh, it's you. It, it was inscribed. Which is very nice, and your note that you write inside was extremely nice, and there was a note on the front as well, and not well, on a post-it note. Brock did not write on the cover of the book. Um, <laughs> I got carried away, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and then there were army men on the back. There's a very interesting <laughs> battle going on. I thought the self-portrait that you put on page 30 was a little over the top, and I wanted to read those words. Well, now, I wanted uh, to have a chance to explain it, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> uh, it's It looks... 
so I, the reason I said the infinite void is I was, I opened it for a fraction of a second and saw the phrase, the infinite void. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm in for. And then I closed it for now. Uh, I'm going to read this book and I will report back. I've never, I'm not even off the top of my head. Marcus Aurelius might have been uh, uh, the guy in the movie Gladiator that like gives uh, Russell Crowe a a sword. But like, I I don't remember who he is at all. Yeah, he is actually that, but yes. It, so it's Gladiator is a bit a historical <laughs> a touch, but the person portraying Marcus Aurelius in that movie is supposed to sort of mirror Wait. you know that guy if he were there, and Commodus Wait. was his son. Yeah, what's up? Uh oh! So he's actually there. Like the Marcus Aurelius is a character in Gladiator. I was just making the laziest joke possible. No, I mean, so yes and no. There's nothing about him other than they picked it as sort of a oh okay stage, right? And there's no historical anything other than he did fight Germanic wars and die while out on campaign in the woods of Germany and his son Commodus did take over as emperor and was a total bastard. So oh. that is true. That oh, okay. So he's the, he's the character at the beginning that, okay, I've got it. Um, is it Donald Sutherland? Who's plays Marcus Aurelius in that movie? No. Uh, <laughs> I actually would have been a little sad if that were the case because, Oh, not the proper temperament. But I don't know. He's a famous actor and now he's dead, sadly. But um Peter O'Toole, um I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna ruin the podcast again. Let's see. Um Marcus uh keep uh let's see. Marcus Aurelius Gladiator. Uh Oliver Reed, no that's Proximo. Richard Harris. Yeah, there that yeah, that's a um similar vein of a classic actor right there. Richard Harris. Peter O'Toole was not that far off. Anyway, <laughs> now that my Google dead end has dead ended, um continue, I get man. Uh, <laughs> uh okay, so well he was an emperor in Man, I can't remember. I don't know if it was quite so far as 300 AD, but towards the end of the emperor lines, he was the first one to nominate a family member as a, like an actual son as his predecessor, or as a next in line. So anyway, but he was largely considered maybe the one of the best emperors as far as trying to rule and not, being, you know, a power-hungry, crazy person. And he was very well-read and et cetera, et cetera. And he adopted the Stoic philosophy, which is, I mean, everybody knows the word Stoic. And so often it's a little confusing Mm-hmm. People think, well, okay, I know what Stoic means. It means like 
don't cry when the worst possible things happen to you and act like it's cool. Yeah, suck it up-ism. Yeah, so it's not not that exactly, but it's sort of a complicated view that is, I think, very practical, right? So Mm. I don't... It would be... uh, complicated to get into but no 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 spoilers i'll i'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. find out from marcus aurelius himself there's the context uh, of the writing is i think very important as well it's not being written to you and it's really what this guy wrote hundreds of years ago who had the most stressful important job in the world if you wanted to do a good job at it and mm-hmm. he had just this in incredible view on the whole thing so yeah that is that is really the the a key qualifier there if you want to do a good job at it or let's say if you're uh if you're capable of understanding that you're not doing a good job at it and want to improve i mean there's a lot of self-reflection that could be really important when you're the leader of the um the world (laughs) Um, Eh. (laughs) totally optional i mean clearly it's optional right (laughs) yeah Oh well, I'm I'm excited. The uh, so he's not a philosopher. He's not a um, no. The Stoic. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I think we could dive into this deeper later when more than one of us knows what they're talking about. Uh, but uh, the I, my entire understanding of what Stoicism is, it feels like it's one of those things that shows up as like a sidebar in a textbook. Like there'll be a a section on. You know the the fall of the Roman Empire or the the like uh, Catholic Church or the papal schism or whatever. Then over on the sidebar, you'll see a little thing with like a tiny little uh, picture of a bunch of dudes standing around, and it just says the Stoics, <laughs> and, and you get like two <laughs> sentences about the Stoics. Not a, a guy. Like I feel like there wasn't. Uh, apparently there is, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you if there was like a um, a lead voice of Stoicism so much as just like. Uh, a it, they've landed in the textbooks as sort of just like a category. I think, um, yeah, they. It was odd as a philosophy. It was more of a practical philosophy. So, mm-hmm. Marcus certainly would not have called himself a philosopher, but other people might now. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. so, it was. I think that's why it's seen as like a. A side note. It was like uh, they sort of like adopted this view. It was very associated with the Romans and duty and how they saw their duty to the state and the common people and stuff like that. I um, mean, I've forgotten the original Stoic philosopher. Zeno, maybe? Seneca, if you've ever heard of Seneca. Yeah, Seneca and, and uh, Zeno. I've heard of Zeno. Yeah. Zeno, uh, Zeno uh, was the world's worst archer. I know that. Well, I don't know if it's the same Zeno. And also, yeah, it's been it's, too that long was a, since I've looked it up. <laughs> oh boy, I'm sorry. That was a that was a that was an attempt at a Zeno's paradox joke that I I took. Oh gosh, a, man! <laughs> I, took, I went. With, well, hey, you I, went I jumped it. too far. Yeah. No, I guess we still don't know if he's the world's worst archer because the arrow hasn't gotten there yet. That's where I was going. 
Oh, you you subscribe? Oh, the Archer. I I was always with the the step thing. Okay, that's why. What's I the step using. thing? I only know the like uh, the arrow in the approaching infinity, right? Like every the, the, you know, paradox. The arrow is never yeah, actually yeah, yeah. reach the target, I, right? It was in my head. If you try to reach an object and you take a step, and then you take half a step, and then half of that step. Oh, okay. Well, no. Apparently, I, I assumed a a shared universal experience, and then I made an obtuse joke that probably would have been hard to follow, even if we both knew what I was talking about. Ah, <laughs> uh, the assumption of <laughs> universal context. Mm. It's yeah, mean uh, trouble sometimes. Tell you what, say, say the two white males in tech. <laughs> uh huh. Even with us, there is a problem. Uh, Zeno man. of. Kittium, I'm not crazy. I don't. See, yeah. I still don't know if it's the same guy, but all right. Oh, it, it, I, I mean, I'd be surprised if there was two historical philosophers named Zeno. Uh, then you may be surprised. Often uh, it was like you're uh, right. What was his name? Um, ah, forget it. Anyway, they just had a lot of those names. I mean, imagine if your philosopher and your name was Math Matthew or Matt. Yeah, and like no, I I get like that. Seventeen mats, and you're like, oh, I don't like Matt. He's a stoic, and it's like, no, it's Matt from Kitty. and it's like, yeah. oh no, yeah, I, I was talking about Matt from um, Africum or whatever. You're gonna, go uh, oh yeah, Africum. That's a place. <laughs> All right, look, that Africanus. You know, was like a semi-Latin I, surname. I'm going to be honest, the first thing that popped into my head, my half-awake head, was Brobdingnag, which is not a real place. That's the uh, that's the place. And uh, Do you know what Brobdingnag is off the top of your head? No, actually? I'm desperate to know. Oh, it's the uh, second place that Gulliver goes after Lilliput. Ah. Lilliput, everybody's tiny. Brobdingnag, everybody's big. Brobdingnag the third- sounds very like, you know, like Loki's secret hideout or something. It sounds n- Nordic. It might be Brobdenagium, or maybe Brobden. Maybe the people live there, Brobdenagium. It's been a real long time. It's I. I think that word is way more fun than Lilli, Lilliput. Um, but then there's also uh, the third place Gulliver goes is uh, Huen, Huenum, which is uh, horses. So everybody's a horse. I don't like that place. Mm, yeah, I don't remember any of the <laughs> the like the cultural commentary that was supposed to happen at any of those three places. So I should stop now. I I can spell Brobdingnag, but I couldn't tell you what what it was about. You know, as an aside, hearing everything's an aside. Hearing that, yeah. As an aside, I think why I thought that was I just started this audio book uh, by Neil Gaiman. I think it's just called Norse Mythology. So he was Neil Gaiman, author yeah. of many things. He's I read American really, Gods. He really yeah. is into Norse mythology, as you might guess from American gods. Yeah. And if any of you have read an, a book called Lord of the Rings, you also may be slightly into North mythology. Um, but he collected all of the things he could from the most original versions of the works he could. And he re- retold all the stories of that mythology sort of in his little way without, you know, he he didn't just take them as a starting point. He just retells them 
in his style, uh, and he reads them as like a six-hour book, and it's fascinating. I would recommend it. That actually sounds really cool. My uh, mythology has been big around the these parts because uh, Archer is uh, uh, doing uh, classical conversations, which is a um, homeschooling system. Yeah, and uh, as part of that, he's uh, that they're very big into mythology, especially early on, because it's a very timeline-based, like timeline of history-based sort of curriculum, right? Um, and he apparently has been uh, like listened with rapt attention to like uh, the 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 you know first grade versions that they've been doing of like uh, the fall of Troy and the story of Odysseus and the Greek myths and every, all of that stuff. He's he's been really into. There's there's a all I can figure because this isn't a kid who is like. Like, I'm trying, we kind of stalled out on Prince Caspian. Like, I'm trying to get him to finish it. But he said he's not really into Narnia anymore. <laughs> Man, <laughs> he, like, Yeah. And, your son and, is going through phases faster than you did. Yeah, he's really, uh, he's, yeah. I'm trying to push him to, to at least finish the book. I'm not going to make him to read the whole series. But anyway, he's um, he's not really into epic fantasy as a whole yet or even like a sword and shield adventuring or anything really but something about the um this those stories really um have captured his intention i think there's you know it's cliched but there's a reason that they made it a few thousand years i think there's some fundamental human condition it's like basic structure of an adventure kind of i stuff think so them, you know? i used to see myth as historically interesting i think for first story interesting you know they're just fascinating stories and they're historically interesting and historically relevant say you know everyone knows that they were and so it's some kind of common thing people know but the older i get the more i see them like you're maybe getting at where they seem absurd and simplistic and you almost can look at the people whose culture it came from and be like, man, they were really primitive and stupid. Mm -hmm. But it's, I, I don't think that's the point at all. It seems that if you can not feel bad reading into any story, it's probably the mythologies of things because it's saying something about, a thing that's really hard to say about the human experience. Right. And so I don't like that because I like to explain things explicitly, but yeah. I, I feel very interested in the idea of its value past what I had initially assumed. I, I agree. I, I, what's funny is, so a little bit of background for the listener uh, when Brock and I and a group of other homeschoolers were uh, in high school and homeschooling, uh, we wanted to go take dual enrollment classes at the uh, the junior college. Dual enrollment is a program where you get uh, high school and college credit by going to a college class. And um, it's semi-common for high schoolers to do it, not super common for homeschoolers to do it. Uh, and we, we had to test into it um, with the junior college, and we did. But even after we tested this, we all tested into it. And if, as memory serves, I believe your future wife uh, aced the English section and I aced the math section. Um, but we all did very well. And then the uh, the junior college uh, 
man in charge said that we could he basically sighed and said fine you can take one class for to begin with so we took latin um and so there was the, the latin class of the junior college that year we had like nine 14 year olds in it um and uh we we the latin class uh I feel like we ended up in a bunch of classes covering early because uh, the Latin class wasn't the one that covered mythology, but uh, we took another one with that same teacher. No, the the book that we took two Latin classes, yeah. and both were based out of a book called Latin via Ovid. And oh so yeah, it was a bunch of stories, myth- mythological stories, mostly of the Greek and Roman traditions mm-hmm. that we had to translate out of Latin or simple versions of them out of Latin into English. And that was, I think that's what you're thinking of. Yeah. Latin via Ovid. Cause we did, we did end up taking a literature before 1750 class and which is still hilarious to my wife that I never took a good literature post 1750 class. I think our parents just wanted us to avoid like any, like what they perceived to be any, uh, or at least my parents probably wanted to avoid like modern cultural commentary writing, so they just threw me in that. Anyway, uh, good old uh, Professor Schuler, he of the um, the surfboard persuasion down there in Pensacola, uh, taught us from that Latin stuff. And he, the way that he, the, as uh, the way I remember him presenting uh, Greek and Roman gods was almost aggressively casual. Like, I don't feel like there was a, like for someone who's in charge of teaching it to you, I feel like he undersold the, the, like, like we're saying, like the human condition nature of some of the stories and instead sort of presented it to us in my memory as kind of the, the equivalent of the WWE at the time. Right. Everybody sort of like had fun keeping up with these characters and all the characters sort of like you could like root for some or, and, and like nobody, no one was like out there actually believing in any of the gods, um, which I buy. But like the 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 uh, there wasn't any like uh, respect for the story built into that class in my memory. Yeah, I guess it it was definitely part of the course, but not I guess required for him to be teaching us mythology, but also. You have yeah. to realize he's teaching Latin at PJC, and there's yeah. something to be said for elevating the level of your class as much as possible. But also, I don't know if people taking Latin one were ready to be have rapt attention towards a technical discussion on <laughs> ancient peoples mythological belief systems far far be it from me to to have any ill will toward professor Schuler and the time that he spent with nine 14 year olds and then a bunch of like a variety of like burnouts and like the the weird like that class all of those classes that we took there felt like there was us on up to like 50 year olds going back to school um what a what a weird place but uh, yes i agree yeah. and i would now be very there's a lot of things i would be more interested in if i were at school now and i suppose that's just how it goes yeah 
School's expensive. I've, I've looked into just like going and taking a couple of night classes or whatever, and, and that's where I end up. I, I end up thinking, you know, if I'm really that interested, instead of dropping a couple thousand dollars on this class, I would just read more at night instead of watching video of people playing video games <laughs> for my evenings. <laughs> you know, like I, I definitely, and, and now I have this Marcus Aurelius book, and I also have Camus that I uh, that I found it was underneath something I I um I renewed it at the library uh and that was when I remembered that I had it and um so I have a couple of things I could be doing with my evening um so the the other uh uh ancient story that I did read recently for the first time um and was and was honestly deeply moved by it was uh um epic of gilgamesh Hey, cool. I picked that up at a garage sale last year and read it as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. A shared <laughs> a thing we both actually read. Awesome. Um, yeah, it, uh, the one I have is um, one that Shannon bought that's kind of known for being a little bit more free with the li- like the um, the license. And, and, it, and it, I think, takes some uh, dramatic license, kind of makes it a little bit more readable. Um it's it's it, it, very good. It was uh, man, that book has a lot to say. Yeah, um, my version, I'm sure, was more of a translational version. Ooh. But as far as mythology goes, it does feel a lot more like it's saying something fundamental about humans learning how to you know, uh, come together in the world, like newly understood. Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the main character, uh, spends a huge chunk of the book fighting his own mortality. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of like the crux of the story, I guess, but like the, the whole thing, given that the way that I was taught like regular, like it makes me wonder about the rest of mythology and I, I might not have really missed much, but like, the rest of mythology, I feel like what you get is like Athena jumped out of Odin's or head, like uh, fully formed. Isn't that crazy? What? And like this one was the god of wine, and this one was the god of war. But there's not. And then like here's a story where they all screw some guy's life up for basically no reason. Um, and this was very much not that. This was just you know the story of a guy on like on a on a quest that anyone would want to go on were they capable to this day, right? Like there's a, there's in it, there's a, uh, you know, the, the problems that, that plague the characters in that book are normal problems, normal being a human problems. Yeah. I mean, and I think amongst the famous pairings of history, Gilgamesh and Enkidu don't get high enough billing. I mean, yeah, uh, man. Yeah. I'm trying to think through all the things that happen in that book. There's one part in that book that uh, where where he's uh, where he's going through the cave and he just has to keep going through the cave, and it's got that. It's got. Do you remember this? That it was written very dramatically in the version that I have. Um, mm-hmm. That felt it felt a little bit like. I think I actually went and read the original uh, translation actually, and it the original translation doesn't milk it quite as much as the one that I have. Um, but the one that I have, like, it, there's a very, all of a sudden it lapses into almost like uh, more strict repetitive verse where it's like it got darker, but he had to keep going. And, it, you know, then, then he got darker and he had to keep going. And it, it's got a very, 
Um, like I actually, I feel like I choked up at least twice in that book. Like <laughs> I, I was, maybe it was just in a, in a choky uppy kind of mood that day, but, um, it, it ends up feeling like one of those, like he's in a cave. You can't go backwards, right? Like he's committed to going right. forward or stopping and giving up like literally everything. Um, and it just felt very, uh, it, it, it felt very, uh, poignant i guess yeah um, i'll have it, to check out a different translation i mean it's not a very long thing to read anyway so yeah i'll, I'll try i'll try to remember to send you the one i have I, I don't or send you the name of the one i have or i could like inscribe one and send it to you in the mail like a real person but i'm um, no promises here <laughs> although uh, now i feel like i have to by the way i want to talk about inscribing books do you uh it was very nice by the way, I think that like everyone uh, inscribing a book when you give it to someone. So there's a, there's a spectrum of book giving thoughtfulness, uh, right? Like on one end is I, I personally mailed you this book and I wrote something on the inside. That's like a nice message, excuse me, about nice message about why I sent it to you. I, I think that you are, you are uh, established the high end of the, of the book giving scale. Um, I, I mean, uh, you and my sister who got me a copy of, oh, I can't remember the name of it, the cartoon from Patrick Rothfuss. Um, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, she she sent me that book, or she gave it to me at Christmas, and it is signed by Patrick Rothfuss. Whoa. Nice. Yeah, I know. I I, I uh, was so surprised when I opened it and saw that it was signed by Patrick Rothfuss, Patrick Rothfuss uh, that I cried. Um, so that was that was a very nice gift that caught me totally off guard. Um, so over there, there's the you know, the gilded halls of the nicest book giving. Then the middle, you have like, oh, I, you know, I gave you this book. Here you go, and you hand it to someone. And then a little bit f- farther back, or like maybe you wrote your wrote their name in the front, or you said like Merry Christmas 2018, blah. And then a little bit farther away from that, you're just like you you mailed somebody a book that you had. And then way on the other end is like I you just like Amazon Prime to them from your couch. And the, like a book shows up, that's what I was expecting, right? Like I was well, expecting. If you want to, I was think expecting about- like Amazon from the door, and then I go downstairs, and this, you know, there's a book that appeared <laughs> from somewhere. You know, if the person didn't even bother to write a gift message, you just get a mystery book. From well, Amazon. it would have been easier and cheaper, but yeah, the level, I, I don't want to oversell the level of effort. I mean, you can anybody can buy a book, write something in it, and send it off. It is harder than Amazoning. But I will also say that I don't I, – it's not uh, something I do. Maybe I've done I, – I think maybe I've done that three times. Uh, and I don't know. It's – yeah, I don't think I would even like write, hey, Merry Christmas with my name. Like it's a very specific – thing that would happen and uh yeah it's more meaningful than the effort it takes i would agree with that i mean i don't want you to get a big head like you know you have some kind of inherent value now but i mean it does put you in a small group of people uh it sounds like i have an inherent value to me i'm i'm right. i think that this book has made me more special as a human being and i feel like <laughs> i matter more um no i i think that 
you know, to to walk that back just a little bit, I guess, even though like inscribing said book, which is also awesome, being able to say that it was inscribed. I, I actually didn't know what you meant uh, when you said it was inscribed. Uh, and I thought maybe that would mean it was like stamped with gold leaf or something. And that just means some, you wrote in the front. Uh, but the uh, there is, I guess, books are a gift that's like, here you go, work. To someone, right? Like you, right? <laughs> you gave them. You're you're assigning them hours of work. Um, so, t- on some level, I suppose that if you Amazon a book, you are saying you you are lessening the amount of work. Whereas, if you give some, I feel like you have to really. It's not that inscribing every book you give everyone is a good idea. Is what I'm saying. Uh, you have to know that right. you are giving the book to someone who is going to care enough um, and that that book is going to matter to them. Because if you become inscribed books guy, you're, ins- you're assigning work with a capital W. There's a, and there's a limited amount of meaning to go around in the world. So basically, every time I inscribe <laughs> another book, your book goes down in meaning slightly. Oh, no. And I did think of an even lazier way now that you said I'm assigning you work. I could mm. have just sent you, like, sort of a syllabus. Yeah. And not even sent you a book. and Or te- and, texted me a link to buy the book <laughs> myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we could go further down. Yeah, well, uh, what I'm saying is that, that there, there's, there is thoughtfulness in not inscribing only in the sense that you're buying someone a book, but you're also saying... I'm never going to check up on this. It's okay if you don't want to read it. It's fine. Oh, uh, where, yes. Okay. But yeah, there's a there's that element. This is why you don't buy someone. If you buy someone a print, you don't buy them a framed print. You buy them a print. And you kind of just, you, the, that leaves them an opening to like, maybe if you swung and missed on this one, you're not going to be coming to their house, walking down the hallway, looking for, you know, the the print hung do on you, the wall. You do know what you I mean? do that? I mean, when I see something I've given someone, at their house or being worn by them i guess i'm cynical well it's proven i'm cynical but i do have this thought in my head did they just put that out did they think they were gonna <laughs> brock's see coming over <laughs> we gotta we gotta hang the brock put on your brock shirt quick where is it i don't know just get just go find it um, i mean to no. be fair i don't give people a lot of things i expect to see around their house but yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I, I've already gone, I've mentally, before I bought someone a gift, I've already played out the scenario in which they are running to get it and put it on the wall. And that, that immediately like deters me from buying anything like that. So I don't think I, I don't think I buy people things like that. I will buy them books, but then, um, you know, in addition to not inscribing them, I also forget that I've given them those books. So really everyone's off the hook at that point. Um, yeah. Well, I won't forget. No, it's yeah. Please uh, remind me. I, I mean, I still haven't finished Lies Incorporated, that Philip K. Dick book that I said I was working on like a month ago. Um, the the main character got shot with an LSD gun on another planet, and that's kind of where I left <laughs> off. <laughs> that may or may not have actually happened. Uh, oh man, him that falls book. asleep while he reads. Unfilmable that book is. I don't remember if I mentioned that here, but man, I, I was going into it, and it's got a very like uh, straightforward setup of um, reasonably straightforward setup of 
there's some place on it. There's a we have a one way transport to another planet. Uh, and people are going there and all of the PR from that planet appears to claim that it's uh, everything's perfect and wonderful there. But there's no way to verify that because no, it takes like 30 years to come back from the planet. And people are suspicious about that. There's also this like AI that might be controlling people's thoughts to some degree. Um, and the main character goes to that planet. I'm going to spoil a very old book, at least how much of it I've read. Uh, the main character goes to that planet and I'm like, oh man, what's he going to do? Is it going to be like a police state or is he going to show up and they're going to like make him like, you know, break rocks with a pitchfork? Is it, you know, where's this going? Well, he gets shot with LSD and then he's in a room with a bunch of other people and they're all trying to figure out whose reality they're in. <laughs> like it goes, it goes way sideways. It's not at all. Uh, it's not like, oh, it's a work camp. Oh, it's a police state. No, it's a place where like they're, are depending on the the experience that you had when you got there everyone has a different idea of what the place even is or like what the nature of the aliens that are there even is like ooh it gets it gets like um i i'm going to tough it out and figure out what the hell's going on but it's very uh it, it he just pulls the rug right out from under you in terms of you have the world's most unreliable narrator it's not that you're not sure what happened you're not even sure what reality you're in uh, at all. It's strange. So I guess recommended. I, <laughs> I don't know. I got to, I got to go back and finish it and find out if you ever, if, well, if, if it I comes together to at all until I have yeah. a fully inscribed copy. Fully inscribed. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see. Or at least the syllabus. Oh man. The expectations of our gift giving have gone from zero to a hundred on this podcast really fast. Um, let's see. Do you have anything else you want to talk about this week? We have, I, I mean, some, I we got a fair amount of time left. I, I, the, uh, Is, I'm in the living room and my, oh. um, children were, well, here's the thing is we were, our, and, and we might eventually get to this point, but, um, the, uh, the normally I record in the bedroom, uh, and when the children are asleep, now we're doing a morning podcast, uh, and, my wife said, sure, I'll get up at 6.45 to clear out the bedroom for you. Uh, this morning, I got up and I said, hey, do you, wanna, do you want me to record in the living room or do you want to, you know, do you want to clear out? And she said, um, and I quote, mm. so then I went to the living room. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you appropriately reacted in that situation. Yeah, so the kids are actually both awake, but they're in there watching TV or something, and, oh. and so I'm, I'm, I'm Well, I'm, I'm in a room with the door closed, so I don't know what's going on out there, and I'm not asking questions. No. Um, is it terribly cold up there? Because down here, I'm in full planting season. That's something that's definitely happening for me right now. Well, uh, it on Thursday, I have this written down. This is one of the three things I wrote down. On Thursday, it was 70 degrees here. Um, my children wore T-shirts. We went to the park at lunchtime. I met up with them at lunchtime. We all went to the park. We had a burrito at the burrito place across from the park. It was glorious. Um, for two days since last Thursday, which was not very long ago, it has snowed. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. <laughs> uh, we went from T-shirts to snow, uh, and I'm actually pretty sad about it because i already packed up my uh 
my leggings, like my interpant, my in, inside pants, uh, long johns. Those are been packed away. Um, so walking in windy, twenty-eight degree weather was worse than usual yesterday. Coming home from work, um, did you say twenty-eight? Yeah, it's been it's been in the high twenties, low thirties, and it it snowed lightly, just just enough snow, just nominal snow, so that you can complain that it's snowing, basically. Um, so planting season, not a thing yet. Um, next week, it looks like we're going to get up into fifties, forties, which is totally fine. Um, but yeah, no, Chicago is Chicagoing hard right now. Um, they, and baseball has started. So the Braves actually came to town and I wanted to see them on Sunday, but it was snowing. (laughs) So, uh, I did not get to go to the Braves Cubs game. Did they play baseball in the snow or is it one of those Pony Express sort of archaism? Uh, um, well, I mean, baseball is uh, the old George Carlin bit. You know, ba- football's played on a gridiron, and they say it. That I think it's George Carlin. They play it all through rain and snow and sleet. And baseball's played on a diamond, and they only play when it's sunny outside. If it rains, they stop. Um, they they actually did play on Saturday. Uh, and what? And I did not see the end of this game, but what happened uh, apparently? is the Braves at one point were up 10 to 2 so I got dressed and w- was fixing to go to the store then they were up 10 to 5 and I left it was the 8th inning and 8th inning and they were winning 10 to 5 in the 8th inning they walked some ungodly amount of people and um gave up 9 runs and lost 14 to 10 uh because it was like 30 something degrees and wet and cold and all of a sudden none of the Braves pitchers could throw a strike uh and so they did play the game on Saturday in, and lost in historic fashion um, with the nine-run eighth inning. There were only four hits in the inning, by the way. So mm. four hits, nine runs. So that makes for a lot of walks. I'm not going to look it up. And then they called off the Sunday game like that morning. Like they didn't even wait to wait around to see. Um, Do you ever – g- go yeah. ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say the White Sox actually did clear snow off the field and play like the week prior. But I think they've already had – a bunch of games postponed as well. Go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. do you ever feel like you're going to fall asleep when you're talking about baseball? Um, no, I like baseball. I don't man, I got uh I I was into baseball when I was little. Uh like real little, like pre-Star Wars. I would say my interests kind of went Star Wars, World War 2. No, sorry, I'm going backwards. Baseball. World War II, Star Wars, sort of in that order. Like, I remember listening to the Braves uh, games on the radio when I was, man, yeah, now I sound like I'm 83 years old. Uh, The the transistor radio, my father left me. We'd all gather around with our Ovaltine. Um, Wait, is that uh, an old thing? I don't know. It seems, you know. When was this guy? When did this guy live? Well, he seems to be into Ovaltine, so we're gonna <laughs> guess early 1900s. Back then, the Ovaltine had cocaine in it, so we just stay. Uh, um, <laughs> That's more. No, yeah, there you go. No, it's a. Uh, um, no, I really would listen. Like in 91, 92, when they were going to playoffs and stuff, I listened to Braves games on the radio because we didn't have cable, and they're not going to play a lot of Braves games on TV in Florida. Um, but Listening like to I w- baseball on the radio. I think maybe better than watching it. It just, it's one of those things that it's not there for the visual entertainment. 
All right. Well, I feel like defending baseball being boring is a pretty played out thing, but I will give you like my my elevator pitch of why I it's as played out as people talking about baseball, you know, sort of nostalgically and glowingly. I think both have a I think both are coming from somewhere without being absurd about either one. And it's interesting that it seems that on a lower end of class, people like baseball, and I think it's more of a cultural thing, a nostalgic, this is an identifying thing. And then at the other end, academic people like baseball who don't like, you know, culturally, you know, plebeian connecting things but it's Hmm. cerebral and it's stats and you could like look at a sheet of numbers and have basically seen the game and so it is interesting and i don't hate baseball i find it hard to watch or follow a lot i love going to baseball games and so i have nothing against it oh okay well that's good uh i i mean i i'm not like i said uh the I understand anyone's feeling of baseball being uh, boring. Here's here's all I can do is speak for the value proposition as it applies to myself, which is as follows: uh, Number one, baseball is like watch to me. The the I really only watch Braves games because it's kind of like watching a, a an extended television show over seasons. Like if you understand everyone on the team and why they're there, and like you're looking forward to new guys getting called up from the minors or like, you know, the more storylines that you understand, this goes for every sport basically, but the more storylines you understand, the more like inherently enjoyable, just like little things happening are number two. Uh, the streaming quality of baseball is mm, mm, I'm doing a chef kiss thing over here. It's just, mm, they'd got like a, a 60 frames per second, you know, full HD MLB stream. It just That's looks super nice. That's because they have to only capture an average of two different <laughs> movement changes per frame. No, I mean that it's until you've seen a the first baseman adjust his crotch in in HD, you haven't lived. Um, no, it's 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 very high quality. It looks, it does really look good, and I I like having a, a HD baseball on in the summer with the windows open. It's just a it is a nice thing to have on television. It, it does not require your full attention, and I would be lying if I said I was staring nonstop at the TV during a baseball game. But it's it's a more of a middle ground than like football, where I feel like I need to see, I need to pay attention a lot to football, or you're going to miss something awesome. Baseball is a little bit more background noisy, but not so much that I feel like I'm wasting my money by paying for the, for the MLBs. Uh, and uh, I don't know, it's. It's I, I played softball for a few years, the church softball, and that got me. That reminded me that I liked kind of the the dynamic of baseball and the back and forth. So it's been fun. Anyway, well, I will yeah. leave you to your love of baseball. And well, and that's all I can give you too, because if I start, if I start going American into like American mythology, camp, yeah, there's meaning I, I, in there. Sure. I don't want to get into like the oh the the struggle between the batter and the pitcher is well and the the nature of the blah, Well, blah, I will blah. say that there is meaning in things 
there can be a thing that has meaning to a person and also doesn't to another. And the person who finds it meaningful is not just making that meaning up wholesale. Yeah, it is specific to them. But why I say this is somebody somebody at work, one of the younger guys, was talking about – asking me about Wes Anderson movies. And he was asking – he thought I might like them and was asking which one he should watch. He's never seen one. But why is because he watched that Honest Trailer YouTube show which he loves do you know what this is yeah i to say i dislike it is an understatement but yeah so i always tell him not to watch it and so he says well i saw this on there and he sent me the link and i was like okay maybe it's different than how i remembered it is not it is it is pure cynicism yeah and i don't know if the person actually feels this way but it destroys your, or I think it does over a long term, if not immediately, destroys your ability to take anything, take the good from anything. Yes, there are definitely crappy, repetitive things and things that people take too seriously about stuff. But, like, then you'll only ever, you'll only ever focus on that and... There's just a lot more meaning in it. It's not just self-defined meaning. It's just you can get it, and if you just quit that, then you're going to be smugly sad. (laughs) You're going to be smug like you're doing something right and then just sad because your life has no access to value or meaning anymore. So that sounds awesome. Uh, I, 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 I actually recently was sent a link to, I had forgotten Honest Trailers existed. I was sent a link to, um, The Last Jedi Honest Trailer, which is like, they, they need to call those things something different because that damn video was like six and a half minutes long. Uh, and I made it about 45 seconds. Um, yeah, it, it appears to be, uh, kind of let's skip the part where you have to come up with the snark. Uh, having experienced the thing and just we'll, we'll just like it's the cliff's notes of snark basically right like it's just let's let's uh let's skip over like any emotional resonance of this thing and instead just give you the wisecracks about uh what people are saying about it it felt very meta too like i, I want to say they were they were not just joking about the movie but joking about people's reactions to the movie which feels like especially with the last Jedi, that's most of what people are talking about is other people's reactions. And, you know, there's like five layers of knee jerks reactions to that movie at this point. Um, yeah, I, I, and then, so like I'm watching it and I'm thinking two things. I'm, I'm with you, uh, in the sense that for me, uh, it, it is immediately extremely tiring to watch because I, like I emotionally just immediately feel drained that, that this is just skipping, the parts of of almost anything that feel uh, worthwhile and feel like they're doing good for me, and instead it's just feeding directly into the cynicism part yeah. of me. Here's which, why: what you felt was, if not not valid, actively making you a stupid person. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, well, I'm the reason that I hesitate from going all the way toward like this is bad for everyone all the time is. Uh, 
uh, there's plenty of people who just want to watch a funny thing and think it's funny and then they're finished uh in that they're they're not i i i can't yes, do it I, but i don't I, feel that way about this thing <laughs> well here's the thing <laughs> fair enough here's the, the the thing that um that causes me to eventually 100 percent end up in your camp uh is not throwing the viewership under the bus as being you know uh dumb or emotionally stunted or anything like that it's that I I think with the pe- the people I think about when I watch the honest trailer thing are not dumb people that are watching it that I think are dumb. I think of the guys that are making those, and like there is there has to have been a point during like the guys that make honest trailers uh, planning where they are tired of doing that to things, right? Like there's got to be a fatigue that sets in, but like you have a zillion viewers and you have kind of a product, right? Like a a style of I don't humor. Know. I would, you know? I would say I would be very interested to know. And just to yeah. put it on the record, I don't think the viewership is inherently stupid. I, Sorry, I, I, I put words more, in your mouth. <laughs> it's, it's much more the opposite in a way, which is that I think people harm themselves by watching it. Because, yes, you want to watch something funny, and it is funny. And I'm almost certain that I have used to I – I think they're very old. I almost – sure, I used to watch them at some point and laugh, like, aha. But totally. it's it's taking people who could access something more, who could be growing, and it's, it's just stunting you right away. And, yeah, you're right. I think people who know what they're doing more, that's not necessarily harming them. And I'm – cynical person and i see the flaws that they bring up and i've joked about them but it's like distilling it into an essence and in and it becomes poison at such like a uncon like you were saying there's not even context it's just like here's all the bad stuff i think a lot of people who otherwise might you know get something from these things just start to see everything as a joke yeah, well, I think that it is. Uh, I'm sensitive to it because of because at one point in time that was my primary way of interacting with a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, I, mean, uh, I agree a, as well. Yeah, like that. So you kind of want to warn people away from like, no, you you don't want to interact with all creative. Like, a you don't have to. I'm not saying you have to like. The Last Jedi or the Transformers Three or or Terminator Salvation or whatever movie they honest trailer up or Shape of Water, which I'm you know something like that, and like you don't. But here's the thing: is you also don't have to interact with it at all. Like you don't need an opinion on this thing, and you don't need an experience with it. And it, but if you do have an experience, like you're better off with none. No, you're better off with no knowledge of this thing at all uh, than you are with someone teaching you only the snarky parts out of the gate you know like it's it's and that's the thing that i think like i was thinking i was thinking about how to talk about that this week and so i'm glad you brought it up in some uh respects which is there's this weird through line between uh the honest trailers and um the way that i used to approach a lot of music which was which would be to go like read reviews first right like so you're going into an album already knowing that pitchfork gave it a 6.4 or whatever which immediately colors your opinion but like i was honestly like i treated that as uh 
I'm sure, and there's some valid validity to this, I guess, but I treated that as a way to make sure that I was thinking about the album right beforehand. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, yeah. what if I like this album and then I discover that everyone thinks this album is bad because it's actually a total ripoff of this other album? Or like, what if this band is just like pretending to do pet sounds and like this whole time I thought it was something cool and oh, that would be embarrassing. Like there are all these, these like you're covering your ass a little bit by like trying to read reviews first. And then, as we've talked about a little bit in terms of parenting and stuff like that and the way we were parented, uh, or I was parented, I guess, specifically for me, uh, is the very conclusion-based parenting, right, of the, like, um, the first thing you learn about something is the conclusion, and then you kind of fill in the blanks. Like, all right, those things to feel related to me. Right, for how to understand it. Uh, I definitely agree. It It gets very complicated because you can't invent uh, context wholesale every time it's impractical or you might not even have those tools, but yeah, um, it's easier when you have some base, you feel like you can rely on. I don't think it's always wrong. Like you could say, Hey, pitchfork has given me a good context. Uh, are you, can you hear me? Oh, I thought I turned the gain off on the microphone. Uh, I mean, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, well. Take a chill pill, man. (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry. Um, No, just, yeah, I can see where you can, you have to use something to stop yourself from having to figure out the meaning of life every time you listen to an album. Mm -hmm. But it, it, is much easier to make it go wrong the other way. And, uh, yeah. Well, I don't mean like having to understand like the meaning of life every time you listen to it. I mean, much more simply just like you don't want to sound dumb in front of someone uh, who might know more than you about music. Yeah, like, but I'm that, saying that that's why that's where it comes from. People have a group mind about it because they're all in some way doing the same thing. To try to have some kind of like easy way to know how to feel about something. Sure, the, sure. Uh, the yeah. alternative is everyone like super honestly coming out with what they think and comparing it to each other and being like, "Oh, we have different ideas," and that's just not how we are as humans. Like, I have a right, very that- hard time doing that, even though that's how I want to be. Yeah, that's not that's not as immediately rewarding as. Um- Finding out that you have some shared experience. I mean, shared experience in general is going to be more, it feels nicer to know that everybody, uh, you know, has reached the same. That said, that there is a little bit of a, um, <laughs> a uh, the, on one level, you want shared experience, but on the other hand, you want to be a special snowflake with your experiences, right? Like, I definitely, I feel like that, that's the, uh, the balance that can never actually be achieved. You want to feel yeah. unique, but you also want to not feel totally alone. Um, I definitely have felt that. I mean, this is, this is the, uh, impossibility of, honestly, it's the impossibility of like worrying so much about your, uh, and curating your opinions and your tastes and everything. So obsessively, uh, I'm mostly talking about me in like my early twenties. Uh, frankly, spent a lot of time, kind of rearranging opinions on a shelf and dusting them off Still, in case anybody yeah, wanted to see them. Yeah, I think well, we all feel that. You definitely had, have, I don't know, 
you're growing as a person, I'm sure. Um, yeah, you you develop those kind of opinions. I do remember. I tend to want friends to like me, and you might find that surprising with how um, deeply sarcastic I am towards my friends. But oh, you're like a like sandpaper. <laughs> A, a finely refined, low-grain oh, yeah, sandpaper. 10,000 grit sandpaper. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, but I th- I do remember you you specifically, I, I didn't want to have a wrong opinion about something that you knew about. Like, I wanted to have an informed <laughs> opinion, but all, often that meant, like, oh, I don't know what he thinks about this. I don't want to be an idiot about this. Um, and so, yeah, it was an interesting, uh, an interesting way that those things interacted because you were harder on the, on the, you'd come up with opinions, however you were developing them. And, and if I didn't have that opinion, it would be more up to me to defend my opinion but at the same time, I wasn't, I wasn't figuring out how to decide things for myself very hard. Like so, I don't know. Yeah, I man, I don't know. I I, I at one point when I was probably tw- I'm going to say 22 or 21 or 23, uh, I definitely said like one of my personal philosophies is going to be that I will have an opinion about everything. Like I want to know just enough about everything to have an opinion about it which is about the most 21 to 23 year old (laughs) thing anyone could ever say um but i i think that it came from a good place which is that i didn't want to become an old person that just smirked at things like there there's 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 a way to fail on both sides right like there's a way to fail uh yourself in terms of pushing yourself so hard to have an opinion about everything that you rely really heavily upon conclusions that you just didn't earn or experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a way to to fail on the other end where you don't uh, have opinions about stuff, but there is an inherent sort of like, because that thing doesn't matter sort of attitude. And it's really, uh, at least for me, like that's what I was trying to avoid. Um, so I landed there in the middle or I want to, you know, I think it's wise to land there in the middle where you understand that uh, you don't, owe anyone an opinion about anything but also your ability to have an opinion on something doesn't have any bearing on the meaning of that thing yeah i Um, think i think that that is hard to achieve because you realize that it is the most humble spot to be in in the most in some way in in some cases anxiety spot to be in you yeah social ostracization ostracization is very upsetting to people. And um, also, you want to feel like you didn't waste your life not figuring things out. And it's just like, but every time I let it go and I like stay there and I'm okay with it, I feel way better. And I'm like, I identified with what you said, which is, that I always try to have an opinion about everything for similar reasons. And um, these things that I'm reacting against, like the honest trailers and, and things, is almost every time I react heavily against something, I, I'm like, yeah, 
that's because that's the thing I do that I'm always like, no. <laughs> oh, totally. If there if there was a, a some stuff that I could tell me back then, it would be like it would be that your role, like your opinion is not the, um, the primary factor of meaning within something. So like that, that's a false scale, right? Like the thing, even when I just described it, like both ends of the spectrum are not even on the same playing field. Wow. I'm really using a lot of varying analogy words here, but like (laughs) those, those are both two different ways to choose how your opinion like manifests in terms of the meaning of something. But really what we're talking about is that your opinion doesn't like materially affect the meaning of something, materially affect the meaning of something. And hey, I've got to record a podcast. Can you go back to the back room, please? Go see mommy. Give her a hug. Give me like 10 more minutes. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, what was I saying? So the, um, your opinion doesn't, doesn't materially affect the meaning of something. And um, you are not always the, the the primary player there. And sometimes you can just listen to someone else's description of how something means something to them. And like that doesn't involve that doesn't have to involve you as anything other than a receptacle and and a listener to someone else's uh, right. story. At best, you could right. hope that something you've added to their life or something you are. Uh, has some part in why they find something meaningful or not, but not very directly, and it shouldn't really be that direct, you know? Yeah, and, like, the the micro version of that is just when someone else talks about something they're interested in, uh, you you have two options that, that, that don't involve you having to have an opinion. Uh, one, of, one of them is good, which is that you just listen, and then you learn about... A, something you don't know anything about, and B, why it means something to somebody else. I'm just talking like not like heavy philosophical philosophical discussions, but just like chatting. Yeah. Uh, and the the um the other thing you want to avoid that I really wish that someone had told me ten years ago is that um for the most part, announcing that you don't like something or don't participate in it or are bored by it is like a terrible way to uh, join any conversation ever. <laughs> um, I cr- I couldn't count them. I'm glad that I don't remember everything I ever did because yeah. most of the things I remember I did, I cringe at. Um, I don't know. Well, it's exactly what you were just saying, and I, I did it to a lot of people, and I've seen people do it since then, and I'm sure I still do it. Um, but at least now I know sometimes when to avoid it. But like, if two people are talking about like the TV show Friends, or you know, a, and then you walk up and you're like, "Man, I've just never really watched Friends. I find that show X Y. You know, this, these are the reasons I don't really like it, or whatever." <laughs> and what you've done, what you've done is, um, you've created a challenge. For those people, and all of a sudden, instead of a conversation about friends, it's a conversation where you're making someone prove to you why you should like friends. Like you've just right. I I like to defend things that I. (laughs) I like to defend every joy I've ever had in life from another person. That's definitely what I want to do in a conversation. Right, and that's like you're you're making it about you, and also not about the thing that they were talking about. And like uh, you've just napalmed this conversation that yeah. One or if two you can make another human think, maybe I really wasn't happy. 
You've done your job. <laughs> Congratulations, twenty-something me. <laughs> and what? And you know, and and to, and then I realized I did realize, uh, like thinking back to them, like there were a lot of times where I would run into somebody like me, but I didn't like them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh know? yeah. Oh, I'm there. Like, I didn't. I, I'd be like, oh, this guy's terrible, and or I would think about me later and be like, oh, I wouldn't want to talk with me. Why would I? Yeah, I, I, it comes up where I'll be annoyed by someone and rather than totally dismiss it, I'll try to at least think, okay, why am I, why do I have animosity towards this person? Usually like a coworker, what is, what bothered me so much? And a lot of times it will be a trait and I'll think, hmm, making it a specific trait that I'm recognizing, I'm like, eh, I bet. I can see that I do that, and nobody's saying that I do that. So the, you have this panic where you think, oh, man, do people feel this way about me? And then you want to go redo everything. Well, you can't. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Thank you.